the best way to build a product, in my opinion, is quick, small iterations based off of client feedback. When you're an app or a SaaS company trying to build for somebody else, that someone else is just as much important of that process as you are when coming up with what to build next. People lose sight of it because you get so wrapped up in what you think and what you think they want. Go to them and ask them what they want. Show them what you have. And I hate the notion of stealth. Okay, can I get that out there too? Jared, welcome to the podcast. Elijah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to talk about all sorts of fun, nerdy things that I know that only you and I know how to do. Let's start with one of the nerdiest, maybe. So what are Jared's rules? <laughs> so Jared's rules are something that I came up with my cousin Brad and my brother Josh uh, many years ago, um, which are a set of guidelines that I try and live by to help protect me from myself. So imagine that you've made tons of mistakes over and over and over again. And I'm not talking about anything like super crazy. Um, but Jared rules are, are a set of guidelines that I live by. So um, I'm guessing as an example, you'd want to hear a few of them. Um, you know, always check that a faucet works before putting soap on your hands because you just don't want to be the guy or gal that's out of sync with soap all over your hands and they only have one of those air blades, you know, so like you can't really like, you don't want dried soap on your hands and the faucet doesn't work. And let me tell you, I have done that multiple times to the point where it made it into the Jared rules. <laughs> so the, the, first of all, I was hoping you would bring that rule up because I have never experienced that in my entire life. I've always, I think always been a soap on my hands first type of person. Mm -hmm. And then I shit you not, three weeks after learning about the Jared rules, I put soap on my hands and I tried to, I was in Europe, I was trying to wash my hands and there, the, the faucet just didn't work and none of the faucets worked. <laughs> and I was like, no way, no fucking way does this happen. Yeah. And then I figured out that there was a foot pedal for the water. So okay, got I it. figured out that, it, but, but that moment of just saying, wow, this makes so much sense was, uh, was very enlightening. I'm pretty sure I sent you a text message, maybe a few days after we had met together in person with me out of sync with a, a faucet that was not working. And I was like, wow, this could not have been better timing because I literally just put soap. I did not put soap on my hands quite yet. And I checked the faucet. It didn't work. Luckily, there was another one that did work. Um, so I didn't have to have dirty hands, which is always, you know, not ideal, but, um, so, so has, <laughs> has this always been a thing for you and, and kind of you, if you abstract it, kind of creating sure. rules, creating guidelines, like how you live. And again, this might be a more simplistic thing, but when you're living your life, do you kind of have constraints for how you make decisions or is it some other framework or, or do you just kind of live life and, and react? You know, that's a really interesting question. I find that it's something in between. So when I think about how I think about the world, I think about things as solutions. In fact, I've actually also learned that sometimes being solution oriented is not always the best thing either, right? Because many different people solve problems and process information in different ways. So I'm learning, I'm learning that with many different people in my life, from my friends to my wife, to my my parents, to my in-laws, to my family, to, to, 
you know, colleagues, you know, my brain automatically goes to how do I create solutions for a problem? Because I love fixing things, building things, putting things together, breaking them down. And so the, the Jared rules, you know, abstracting it out is just a manifestation of solutions that I've put in place where I consistently have a problem, whether it be silly or very real. And I want to consistently have a solution for that problem. So I don't need, I don't even need to think about it. Right. Like it goes back to, um, you know, Zuck, right? Like Zuck has a closet of, of gray t-shirts and jeans. I think that that's what his outfit was. He's probably changed it since then, but it goes into decision fatigue, right? How he has a problem that he always has solved using something as simple as dressing in the morning. And he says, okay, here's my rule. I just have a gray shirt and jeans. This is how I will always look. And now I no longer need to think about that. And the solution is always there. So in a small way, I relate, I'm not Zuck, but I relate to how he solves problems because if I can have a standardized solution for something that comes my way, now I don't need to put any more energy or thought into how to solve it anymore. Um, so, so one of the things that I like about that, and I, I'm a big advocate of it as well, right? You, you free up kind of bandwidth to focus on maybe more important decisions. Yeah. To play devil's advocate, what do you lose in having pre-programmed decisions? Do you kind of become autonomous? Do you kind of, is it almost a robotic life? Because if you take it to the nth degree, yeah. where is the human creativity in, in responding to your environment? I think it depends, right? Um, every situation is different. And I think that where it needs adjustment is when you start interacting with others, which is somewhat what I was alluding to, right? Because maybe I have a solution in my mind, but the process by which I go about that solution, when, in, when I am working with somebody else must be different because they have a different code that they follow for solving problems or coming up with solutions. And maybe my solutions are completely out there. Maybe they work for me, but they may not work for somebody else. So I find that when it's for me personally, for example, going into a restroom and checking the faucet for water before putting soap on my hands, that doesn't affect anybody else, right? And that small piece of robotic decision-making or autonomous decision-making doesn't really affect me. For example, another Jared rule, right? If there's short rib on the menu, order it, okay? <laughs> because short rib is awesome, and I always love short rib, and it's very consistent. Now, will I break a Jared rule? Sure, but then I'll, I find myself sometimes saying, you know what, damn, I really wish I had that short rib, you know? It looks really good when I see a waiter taking it out and, and bringing it to somebody else's plate. Does that decision affect anybody else? No. But that decision affects me, and it's a very small thing. So so to your point, maybe there's a, there's a, a hybrid here where... You have to tackle each problem with another solution, right? And perhaps tackling a problem with a solution on a smaller scale is easier than handling bigger macro problems that maybe involve others or, or to your point, require some creativity and humanity that, that come along with it. Uh, what, what, what about your experiences? Have you, uh, what, what's your, like you mentioned that you, you, you were in, uh, in, in Europe and were washing your hands and thought of the Jared rules. Were there any Jared rules or Elijah rules that you would maybe come up with? So rules for myself, rules to live by, it, I, I've had a mixed relationship with them. And so there's certain aspects of my life where I'm militant about structure, routine, and habit, and have always 
idealize those who can have extreme consistency and adherence to their principles, to their goals, to their, their habits. Mm -hmm. The counter side to that is I also love freedom and freedom to me is kind of exploring ideas, exploring things as they come, being able to be highly adaptable. I think that that's also an entrepreneurial trait is adaptability. We love kind of that chaos and then creating something out of that chaos. Absolutely. But as I've gotten older and, and traveled, right? So traveling in Europe, I, I was the type of person who's kind of booking the train in the morning while heading to the next country or wherever I was going. And I realized that I don't know if that's necessarily the best approach to all of life. I think it's great in that it, it, it stimulates you and it challenges you, but you also have to spend an exorbitant amount of energy to deal with the problems as they come up in that kind of reactive style of living. So you gain adaptability, but if you have planning and structure and adherence to rules, you free up a lot more time and bandwidth to focus and intentionally dedicate that time. So it's something that I'm wrestling with and kind of figuring out and balancing between the two. But it's, yeah. it's definitely something I'm, I'm very curious about of late. What is, what is your relationship with rules? I like breaking them. Okay, that's fun. So, yes. so do you think that that relates to setting up structure? And so, so for example, if you were to set a, a set of Elijah rules, would you find yourself breaking them more often than following them? And would that lead to the fun I, of having the rules to begin with? Yeah, I think maybe there's a, maybe there's a nuance there. So I like breaking rules where I think rules are stupid. So basically I live, I often live by my own rules. And so if I okay. don't believe in the thing that I'm supposed to stick to, maybe a stupid example is jaywalking or another example was uh, my first internship. They, I was supposed to sit at my desk for eight hours and do about 20 minutes work across eight hours. And I just yeah. thought that was stupid. So I brought my Kindle and found a, uh, a hidden corner of the office and just read for six hours and then, um, and then did the, the button pushing. So sure. if I think the rules are stupid, then I definitely am a fan of breaking them. But that being said, I do think that you can only build systems and build things at scale through repeatable process, i.e. structure, i.e. rules. So it's a, you know, there's a, there's a balance to, to both sides. And do you find that in breaking those rules or creating that structure or that through point between those two verticals, because I, I, I grapple with the same questions and, and, and I have the same set of rules that I like to break and rules that I don't like to break and like to follow, right? But I find that when collaborating with others is when it's the most difficult. So, you know, because there's, there's many elements, it's their comfort with breaking the rules. There is their comfort with, you know, changing process or, um, their comfort with, or their buy-in to your process. Right. So I don't know, I find it super fascinating and, and it's something that I'm actively trying to improve on as not only a, a husband. Um, or an entrepreneur, but as a, as a human being, right? Like, where is that fine line of, you know, being able to say, you know, break a rule such as jaywalking, which, you know, somebody might argue, well, jaywalking is there because you don't want to accidentally not look both ways and then get hit by a car, right? Um, I got a, I remember when I was in school, I went to UCLA and when I was at UCLA, I, there's a, a small, maybe 10 foot, 20 foot, little pass probably 20 20 30 feet because i'm grossly underestimating that little you know street 
Um, but there's the thing called, there's something called the Hill at UCLA, right? Which divides the campus from student living. And then there is this little crosswalk between the Hill and campus. Everyone that lives on campus has to cross and everyone jaywalks across it, right? Literally everybody. But one day, I believe it was my junior year, I jaywalk and the university was trying to set an example for jaywalking. And I got a $250 ticket as a student. Now, as you might imagine, I was really pissed, right? And I was like, so many other people were jaywalking at the exact same moment as I was. And it, you know, makes you think, you know, you can get into the politics of, do you want to give a student a $250 ticket for something very minor? Or do you want to set the precedent? You know, should I have broken the rule because everyone else breaks the rule? Is if, if other one, if other people are breaking rules, does it make it okay for me to break them or not? I don't know. These are kind of the philosophical questions that I grapple with. So apply it to entrepreneurship. So you've been an entrepreneur for quite some time. Yeah. Entrepreneurship by itself is basically saying where everyone else is doing X, I'm going to do Y. Totally. And it's going to look like failure for the first five years, probably. So where does this tie in? You know, talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey and how you even decided to build a company and kind of walk a different path. Sure. Uh, you know, I think I was always going to be an entrepreneur based off of my personality. Um, I was, my dad is an entrepreneur himself. I'm a successful entrepreneur at that. Uh, and I feel as though I was always being Mr. Miyagi by him as I grew up, um, <laughs> into being a, an entrepreneur or somebody in business and thinking of thinking about the world in in those certain ways. And then there were certain attributes about myself that lended to entrepreneurship that I, some would argue set me apart, but I would say they're just basic, basic rules, right? That somebody should abide by when they're going down that entrepreneurial journey, which help, helped guide me to that, that path, such as customer service, right? I love communicating, as you can probably tell and probably have the reason I was invited to the podcast was because I like to talk, right? But you also have to be a great listener, which you're exhibiting right now. And um, that comes into customer service. And being an entrepreneur is about customer service. It's about creating a great product, thinking of ideas outside the box, breaking the rules, not wanting to have red tape and have somebody to answer to or have to go around people or play the politics of the internal corporate world, which is something that I started doing and took very little interest in. Even in even in a startup environment, I didn't like the politics of it, right? Because um, I felt I was undercut or my ideas weren't heard or that the direction of the company should be going in a different direction. And so for me, um, it, it comes down to a couple of different things. One, the way my brain works, the way I see the world, the way I think about business. Um, next, it's opportunity, right? So I've always wanted something. My... My parents are, are uh, expats. They are immigrants from South Africa. Uh, and they moved here many, many years ago before I was even born. And they came here for a wide range of reasons. I mean, predominantly stemming from uh, wanting to move away from apartheid because, you know, as white people um, living in, in an apartheid world, if you're still there, you're a part of the problem. Um, and that's what they wanted. To, that's what they saw. And they wanted to get away from it. So that's what helped them, you know, what led to their exodus to the United States. Um, but my parents came here with nothing, right? Nothing. Uh, my mom's a te was a teacher. She's retired now, but my mom was a teacher. 
And my dad did everything he could do to, to make money, um, working multiple jobs. He worked at Party City. He was doing deliveries. He was doing whatever he had to do to, uh, to earn money and to build, to build his life. Um, and eventually he took a chance, right? And he started his own company or bought a failing company and turned it around. Um, and his journey is incredible, but you know, I see the way that I live today and what helped me start my company was having the opportunities and you know, the financial stability that was, you know, I was very blessed to have from my parents, right. To allow me the flexibility to take a chance without real repercussion for that. Right. And, um, that's not a privilege that everyone gets. And so I wanted to be able to build that myself as well and provide that for my own family, for my own future children, um, and, and to live that life, live that life too. And I think that entrepreneurship is, if you know how to do it, if you know, if you know, uh, if you have some of the core, uh, principles of what it takes to be an entrepreneur, which I've tried to define in my mind a little bit through time too. I believe that you can unlock not only solving problems for other people, but you can really have fun expressing your own ideas and passions. And if you're successful enough, um, you know, make some money in the process, but, and, and live the life that you want to live. But many people have also said it's about the journey, not about the destination, right? Because it's not about making a ton of money because as entrepreneurs, we always want more. Do, do you think more people should be entrepreneurs or do you think that there's this natural division between the business creators and people who work in businesses? You know, I don't. What's, what's, it, what's super interesting is I don't. I think that, I think that everybody has a superpower, right? And this gets into how I identify, you know, employees at my company, um, you know, colleagues, maybe my outlook on humanity. Um, many have challenged me on this point, but I believe it to be true. I think that everybody has a superpower. Um, and what that means to me is if you, if there's something that you're extremely passionate about, very knowledgeable on and have an affinity for learning, um, that's likely going to be something that is going to impact the world in the way that you know how. Um, and I think that the most successful people through all walks of life, and through, you know, the op they're lucky enough to have the opportunity and means to be able to pursue it, which is not fair and it's not created equal for everybody. But if you are, if you do happen to have that opportunity, that the most successful people are those that discover that superpower, that special talent. Um, and mine happens to be, you know, entrepreneurship, which is how to solve problems very quickly, how to stay even keeled, how to manage people and, and create buy-in, how to create value proposition, how to be a good, a good, have good customer service. And by the way, doing all of that while still being a good husband and still having my priorities straight, knowing when is the right time to work versus the right time to, you know, be present um, in my family's lives and my friends' lives. And being an entrepreneur, as you know very intimately i'm sure you're always on the clock you know i can go on vacation and there's no there's no off switch right and that's a life it's 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 hard it's challenging and i don't think everybody can do that and i don't want to encourage people to do that because it's a very sad way to live at times um but if you're born to do it it doesn't feel like it's work and 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 so i would say 
I would say, no, I don't want to encourage other people to be entrepreneurs, but those that have that grit, perseverance and want that life, I encourage them to give it a shot. Absolutely. If you were advising someone, maybe they're in college, maybe they're working a job. Yeah. It doesn't really matter where they are, but you have a conversation with someone and they are intrigued by the idea of starting their own thing. Maybe they don't know what it is, where it would go, what they would do. They don't have the skills. How do you help them determine if, if building a company is right for them? How do you determine if there is that grit? What, what advice would you give to someone who might be exploring with this idea? Well, first, I want to dig into why, right? Why do they want to do it? Are they solving a problem? Is it something that they're passionate about? Um, do they have the financial stability to take a risk? Who else do are, are, are they putting, are they risking by the result of their actions? And have you spoken to those people? For example, do you have a wife and children that if you were to take a chance with being an entrepreneur, it's going to affect their lives? If so, have you had a conversation about taking that risk? And do you have the, you know, I don't believe in going all in to the sense where, you know, you're going to damage your life. Um, unless you have some level of, of understanding, um, some level of validation that whatever you're going to do is going to work. Um, what I do advise people to do though, is to test the waters, right? So I would say you have a product that you think is going to work, make a prototype in your free time, see what people think. What does that mean specifically? What, what steps should they take? Do they have to learn to code? Do they need to go hire someone? Well, it depends on the industry. But I would say the thing that they want to sell, right? It has to always be a product or service or thing that they're going to be selling. You need to get validation that that thing is going to work. And I don't, I don't mean do research, right? There's this uh, saying analysis paralysis, right? You analyze something to death. I remember my first company I started with my friend Jerome. Um, it's called, it was called organic genetics, um, epically failed for many different reasons. Um, it was the best MBA program I ever had. Um, but I remember in this very office that I'm in right now, my dad walked in and he looked at me and he looked at Jerome and he said to us, I remember this vividly. He says, what are you guys doing? We said, oh, we're building a business plan. He's like, get off of the fucking computer and pick up a phone and call somebody and make a meeting and get going. Like, don't sit here and make the perfect plan because business is not that way. So just do it i.e. Nike, right? But just, but just do it, right? Like get, don't, don't be an analysis paralysis. Now I agree with that to a degree. I think that there needs to be some balance between, you know, don't just jump in something without having any sort of plan, but take whatever you want to do as your, whatever you're trying to sell, whatever you're trying to do, whatever you're trying to be and have a micro test, right? of what that means. So as an example, you want to be a software engineer, take a course on the side, right? See if that's for you. If you want to start an agency, pick up a small agency work, like pick up a small website, pick up a small marketing gig, pick up a small whatever, do it on the side, see how you do, see how your client responds, see what you learn from them, see how you differentiate yourself from others, um, see what it's like to sell that thing. Um, understand what the time constraints are for you. Um, try and find the problems in, in that process. And as much of that as you can validate before going all in, I think will lend to you having a straighter path to success. I love the advice that your dad gave of 
picking up the phone and the phone specifically. I think in this day and age, Gen Zs, millennials, we love our phones, but we don't like calling people. Yeah. And I think that there's this tremendous amount of fear of rejection that people have of what if that person says no? What if they think I'm stupid? What if they hang up on me? And there's this anxiety that we have about actually asking someone, a stranger, it doesn't always have to be a stranger, but asking someone to buy or value the thing that you're trying to create. Mm-hmm. And you can spend all this time, even if you're not in an analysis paralysis, I talk with a bunch of founders who are engineers and they're building out their MVPs and they you know, spend months building out this product and it's really cool and it's really amazing and the code base is really clean and it looks great. Yeah. And they haven't talked to a single person about it and they're afraid to do it because it's not good enough or not good enough or uh, pretty enough or, or complete enough. And so yeah. the simple advice of just fucking call someone and book a meeting, that right there, that is entrepreneurship. That is just taking the action to start and to start dealing with the the rejection. You talked about sales a little bit. You've been exploring yeah. that more. So yeah, tell me tell me more about kind of what that rejection and sales aspect is. It happens every day, right? Um, you're totally spot on, right? Anyone can build a product. Anyone with savings can hire somebody like me or hire somebody like you and build something, right? An MVP or whatever, make it pixel perfect, do whatever they got to do to make it look exactly the way they want. Actually selling it. Right. I have a client who will who will stay unnamed, um, who has built a product with with new tech for four years now. Okay. Iterations of the product. They have users on the product. Um, it's it's going very well. There's high traction with those user base. But then he he came to me and was asking, Hey, like maybe I need to go get investment or go and join a venture studio or you know, go in a different direction. Why? said, well, you know, it's very lonely, which entrepreneurship is lonely, right? I mean, we all feel it, um, especially as a, as a founder without any partners, at least in my one venture. And um, he said to me, Jared, you know, what do I need to do next? I said, build a feature that drives revenue. Go to who you are going to see. You've been doing this for four years. Go talk to your target audience that you envision to be your paying customer, ask them what they want to see, and then fucking build it. That's it, right? That's all you got to do. You don't need funding. You need to drive revenue. And guess what? When you start driving revenue, funding will come much easier with better terms, right? You're not going to be chasing VCs anymore. They'll be chasing you. That's what you want. You want to be the Cinderella at the ball, right? With the slipper. So it's, it's one of those things where Getting into sales is about also, here's another another thing that I like to tell, going back to the topic of circling back to what advice would I give to entrepreneurs or if I had to do, do things differently from day one or slash I kind of did exhibit this when I started out. But you know, what would I do to, to get started here is sell something before you have it, right? Sell now, build later, okay? So, it, so, so for, again, the, 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 the little voice in people's head that panics when they hear that of uh, doing of like, well, what, a, I, I don't want to be a scam artist and that's, isn't that dishonest? What do you say to those people in that voice? Do you have the means to build the feature or the app? Yes. 
do you intend to build it if you get a sale? Yes. Are you telling them that you can give it to them tomorrow? No. Are you telling them that you can give it to them in six months if you hit XYZ benchmarks? Yes. So where are you, where are you lying? You're just telling them this is what's going to be there. And you can say it in such a way that you're not lying, right? So for example, I go to a, a customer that wants a particular feature, right? For an app, let's just say I'm, I'm using that same app example that, that I was just mentioning where they, I, I told, I gave the advice to this entrepreneur to go out there and actually start building a feature that's starting to sell revenue. He, he got the idea for this feature by going to a target consumer who he believed would be his customer. Okay. So he goes to them and he says to them, Hey, you know, what would I need to do to get a partnership with you? And they said, well, it would be really great if we had this feature that the, this advertising, whatever, whatever to your target demographic. He said, okay. And in my mind, I told him, we got to scope out that feature yesterday and build it. Go back to them while it's being scoped out. You don't need to know how much it's going to cost. You don't need to know how long it's going to take. And you say to them, hey, it's in development right now, right? Development can be, can mean anything. It can be ideation. It can mean scoping. It can mean designing. It can be whatever, right? It's in product development. Okay. However, you feel good about saying it to somebody. This feature will be live to hell or high water in the next two months. What do you want to see in that feature that we discussed long ago? Because I'm building it for you right now. And what does that revenue opportunity look like for you and for me? Let's start having those conversations out. Let's get something in writing. And guess what? Before he green lights that feature, he can have a memorandum of understanding or some sort of signed contract that is contingent on it being built by a certain date. And then you can get that customer. And now you have the validation that you're going to have money coming in as a result of the thing you're building, right? So, or equally, you find out that they won't pay for it and therefore you probably shouldn't build it. A hundred percent. But either way, you're better off. A hundred percent. The best way to build a product, in my opinion, is quick, small iterations based off of client feedback. And that's the best way to when you're an app or a SaaS company or any kind of product that is trying to build for somebody else, that someone else is just a, is just important, just as much important of that process as you are when coming up with what to build next. And I think that that's extremely important and people lose sight of it because you get so you get so wrapped up in what you think and what you think they want. Go to them and ask them what they want. Show them what you have. And I hate the notion of stealth. Okay. Can I get that out there too? Like hot take, right? Stealth. <laughs> stealth is you're, you're, you're hiding it from everybody, including yourself. If you have an idea, I can tell you everyone's thought of every idea. It's about execution. Okay. Execution is how to be an entrepreneur. Execution is how to build a product. Execution is what separates an entrepreneur from an idea or a, a company from an idea. And if you're hiding your idea from somebody and not sharing it with others to get that validation, don't be scared about them dropping their life to build your idea. Okay. They're not going to do it. And I can tell you the big players have thought of your idea. They have chosen not to do it for a different reason. So be the niche and don't be afraid. So stealth, I'm like, oh my God, like you're in stealth, like get this out there, build a heading page, talk to people, get ideas, build it iteratively, get feedback. And then, you know, you'll build something great. That's how Instagram became big, right? Instagram was, was a, an app with many different features. 
And then they found out the only thing that's relevant is photos. And they built photos and they became a billion dollar company before they exited Facebook. Or but it only happened by building, iterating, putting in front of people and seeing what people resonate with. I think that the, the, the inversion of the sales model of selling first and then building is something that, again, petrifies people left and right. It's, well, I need to have something to show before I sell. I need to have it done before I can ask. Yeah. And that is just not true. And I think that maybe is what we're taught and kind of how, you know, the you ask for the promotion after you've already done the work or something to that effect. And there's kind of this causal relationship. But in sales, in entrepreneurship, in most of life, you get outsized returns if you ask and then figure out what the pathway to get that ask to be a yes is, right? So if you ask for money, i.e., hey, we're going to be building out some new features. They're going to be paid features. What would be most impactful for you? I have a hypothesis. It is this. Yeah. Would you pay for it? They say yes. You say how much? They say $200. Then go build that feature, whatever it is. Sure. I also have seen this in personal life as well. And one of the concepts that I, I latched onto early on, it's been helpful and it's something that I continually revisit that's difficult to live by, but simple enough to, to grasp, is we think that in life, you are inspired to do something. When you feel inspired, you are then got the energy and the motivation to do it. And then you go do the thing. Yeah. So an example would be, I need to feel inspired to go to the gym, right? I need to feel like it. And then once I feel like it, then I'll get the motivation to actually go do it. So drive to the gym, put on my gym clothes and work out. And then, and that's the action part, right? Actually doing the work, right? Mm -hmm. But the, the cycle is actually, you can enter at any point. If you sit around waiting for divine inspiration or personal inspiration to hit you, you don't control that. But what you can actually do is, is a circle. And if you start with action, if you just take the action, you do the thing that you don't want to do, yep. well, then you'll feel more inspired which will give you more motivation to do more action. And so if you start with the act of asking or the act of you know, talking to your customers, that will give you more inspiration to build a really cool feature, a really cool product, which will give you more motivation to keep that feedback cycle going. And I think these cycles, we, we think they're very one way, but in, in reality, you can start at any point and, and achieve the same results or better Absol results. Absolutely. And to take it one step farther, right, and abstracting it a bit more, you know, you can even gamify that for yourself. And that's what I've done, right? So I've, I've, gamification is such a powerful technique and tool that you can use in apps. You can use it any walk of life. And I even use it for myself. Um, where, and, and just describe the concept of gamification, because maybe that's more of a technical or, or product thing. So describe it and then also describe how you, you apply it in your life. Yeah. And correct me if I describe it incorrectly, but this is how I perceive it at least. Uh, the, the idea of gamification is creating a feature, a mentality, or something that's somewhat addicting, right? Somewhat of a game for a user to play, to stay engaged with, to get, be, stay engaged with your feature, your product, your, you know, whatever you're engaged, whatever you're working on or, or, or looking at. And, and also the, the creating, creating the desire for them to want to come back and play it again. Right. And so it can be very sticky when you have something that truly is, is, is fun and engaging and somewhat of a game, right? And you can you can put that in products. For example, I, I post ahead. photo on Instagram, I get likes, I get emotional validation, right? Emotional Action validation. and then yeah, dopamine response basically. Thank you. See, I knew that you were much smarter than me. 
So, so, but here's a, a perfect example. There's a product that I built. So I'm going to do a quick shout out um, to a founder named Jeff. Um, he built a product called Rate and See, um, and it's a movie rating website, right? Which um, we built a, this product many years ago. Um, he's done very well with it. It's very exciting. It's very fun. But I think that he captured gamification, at least in a product sense, in a very fun way, which is, you know, you you go on and you rank movies and he visually changes how they look. He's got a patent on this process that he visually changes how they look based off of that emotional response that you had. He's made a very clear definition of what is a single flame movie versus a six flame movie. Um, very clear criteria. So it's not like, oh, this is three stars to me or four stars to you. It's very defined, right? And I find it interesting because every time I go through and I see a movie on the, it, it uses AI to generate movies that you may have seen um, that are similar to what you rated and what other people in the ecosystem have rated the movies as well. And then, you know, it gives you smart recommendations so you can, it's more of like movie social media in a way. But, you know, what you do is every time you see that frame change and every time you see a movie that you see pop up, it's very sticky. It's very much like a game where I was there to rate a movie that I had just watched. I'm, you know, we can use, we can make this, uh, you know, relevant to pop culture. So like the Barbenheimer, you know, situation that's going on now, right? You go on, you rate those two movies on, on rate and see, but then you find yourself going down the beat, right? That's sticky. That's gamified. And it brings a lot of to your, your you, you put it very, very, very well, which is that dopamine hit every single time you do one small action that makes you want to do it again. Um, and it keeps you on there for long, right? That's why social feeds, seeing photos. And I think that sometimes it can be gamified to a fault, which is not healthy for users, right? Which we can talk S about. Slot too. machines are obviously very gamified. And that's an example of strong gamification creates that hook, creates that de desire in that cycle. But it's also probably, I think we can all generally say that slot machines are, are not the healthiest way to spend your life. Social media, right? The dopamine yeah. hit that you, when you post a photo on Instagram, using that same example again, right? Um, it feels awesome to post something that gets 100 likes. But what happens when you don't? And what happens when you exactly. see what, uh, what you think everyone else's life is, but it's not actually that life, right? You know, to me, that is that is somewhat dangerous, you know? Um, you mentioned having gamification in your personal life. Yeah. What, what does that mean? How do you incentivize yourself and build these structures? So it can be in many different forms. So um, I find joy in doing things that I really don't want to do. And I see it as a conquering moment when I fulfill them. I'm, I'm a nut. I know this already, right? But I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur, so it comes with the territory. But I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I'll give you two examples. One is uh, more singular and one is more of a um, modification of my lifestyle, right? So um, let's go with the singular example. It's really fun. Did I ever tell you about my 24-hour walk? No. Okay, you're going to like this in particular. Um, so a colleague of mine um, named Curtis, he's awesome, um, and another friend of mine named Sean put together this walk. Right. I got strung into it last minute, um, but they put together this walk, which um, looks at Tom Shea's book um, called Unbreakable, which was a, a, a book written to. I never read the book, to be clear. I only found out about the walk a couple of days before it or like a week before the walk and then learned about the book on the walk. 
but um, they had read it and they lived by it, right? It's a very David Goggins inspired type of mentality. Um, but the idea of becoming unbreakable as a human being, because this was a, I believe a Navy SEAL who's going to be deployed and wanted to impart wisdom to his, to his children about what it means to be unbreakable. So he wrote a book with 13 different things to do in your life to call yourself unbreakable. Right. And the physical challenge is what I did with this group of people and what, uh, Sean and Curtis put together. Um, which is walking for 24 straight hours, 50 minutes, five, zero walking, 10 minute breaks for 24 hours, right? In those 10 minute breaks, you can eat, you can sit down, you can do whatever, but you're walking for 24 straight hours, right? So I did this without any training because frankly, when I learned even halfway through the walk it has nothing to do with the physical, it has everything to do with the mental. And, um, because at a certain point, your body breaks down. Everyone's did. I mean, Curtis did Ironmans and he, his body broke down at a certain point, but you just keep going, right? And it's all mental. And I actually made a little documentary of it. I, I took my GoPro and filmed it as I, as I went on this walk um, and, and got it edited and, and made a little video for myself for inspiration, right? Doing something that I really didn't want to do and was not prepared to do, but I felt unbreakable when I actually completed it. And I was one of four people to finish, right? So. Um, when I think 25 started or something. So, um, that's a good example. And that challenge, you know, challenged me in, in many different ways throughout the process. And, and the, the challenges evolved as the walk went on. We ended up doing a double marathon, uh, walked from Santa Monica to downtown LA to Dodger Stadium, back to Santa Monica. And then we wrapped, we, we looped around Santa Monica six times, um, before it being 24 hours. Um, and we all ended up doing a double marathon, some even more who walked ahead, but, um, that was mentally and physically exhausting, but then even in a simpler way, right. Um, I'm gamifying my diet right now. Um, so I want to lose some weight. Um, you know, I, I am somebody that has always growing up suffered from body image issues, um, have lost weight, gained weight in many different ways, strength, body fat, all these different things. I use it to empower me now. I'm um, not as something to hold me back. And so I came up with a game on how to do that again, right? So you get the app, right? That, that tracks everything that you put into your mouth. So every, every, every food, water, um, coffee, whatever it is, I document it, right? I write it down. I count the calories. I see what's going on. I make, I, I tell myself, okay, like I'm going to eat it between these window of hours and I make it fun. And if I do this correctly for a week, then I earned myself a cheat meal on a Friday night, right? Which I'll be able to get tonight. So, um, you know, you find ways to, to, to motivate yourself and to make things fun. And then by the way, that dopamine hit is when you take that photo of yourself every week and you take a photo of that scale every morning and you see that the weight is starting to go off by virtue of sticking to a very easy, repeatable process, right? It's, 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 it's really gratifying. So that's a couple examples of how I've kind of taken it in my own, like outside of work, how I've taken gamification or, or the idea of overcoming obstacle really personally and, and put it into my, into my own life outside of, outside of work. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the more we can build systems kind of going back to rules yeah. in living an intentional life that 
whatever that means to you, but living an intentional life and whatever systems and structure you can create to help encourage that behavior. I think that that is, as, as I get older, more and more, I think that is what life is about. I, I agree. Life's about the journey, not the destination, right? And, and knowing that in real time is important. Um, people can get sick. Um, people can, you know, wait too long to experience life the way that they should. And there is a balance to be had with enjoying what's there now, while also, you know, the double marshmallow experiment, right? You know, while also saving the second marshmallow for later and waiting for the good stuff um, as, as it comes later on. Talk to me about overnight oats. Okay. <laughs> so um, I, I love overnight oats. Uh, and I didn't know I loved them until I was introduced until a friend of mine, Zach, um, started a company without even starting a company. Talk about entrepreneurship by mistake, right? He created a product that was so fucking good that I told him he needs to start a business around it. Like there's no option. It's such a good product, <laughs> right? It's so good. Um, to give you some background on Zach, um, I met him on a birthright trip. I'm Jewish. We went on birthright together. Um, we were very close on the trip. Um, in fact, one of my first businesses, the, the organic genetics business I referenced earlier, I started that after that trip. I literally got off that trip and started that business. And Zach was one of the people who, you know, had never met him before, encouraged me to do something fun, fresh, go for it. And I did, right? He helped, he was a part of that decision making process. So he, he held a, a special place in my heart, even through the years, if we don't, if we didn't talk every day, but I'm, I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring this back to the oats, I promise. But, uh, Zach was a, was a collegiate, was a collegiate athlete at USC. He was a soccer player. Um, he played club soccer there. He was very competitive, um, very in shape to this day and was always looking for, um, the blend between Eastern and Western medication to try and improve his body and improve his performance, right? Um, not only on the soccer field, but just, you know, to live a, lead a healthy life. And so he started doing a ton of research on different ingredients, you know, what makes for the perfect fuel for your body, right? Because everything that's out there is commercialized and is filled with artificial crap. And, you know, people take out all the good stuff to make more profit on their, on their bottom line, which I understand. But he was really interested in how can I, how could he create his own fuel that is custom made and knows that he gets all the healthy ingredients that is required to, you know, to perform and to live and lead a healthier life. So that's where the journey of Earth Meal started, which is what my overnight oats is called, or um, his overnight oats that I've, I've invested in 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 this company. And Earth Meal actually has 25 active ingredients um, that are in it. So most overnight oats only have, you know, two to five ingredients in them. This has 25 all natural, globally sourced ingredients. So he's got, you know, lion's mane powder sourced from a specific region. And he has almonds sourced from a specific country. And all the research that's been put into Earth Meal, um, you know, created created the company. So um, he started by having it every day for five years um, himself, 
Um, he created it, he, he concocted it, he got it to a perfect, to a perfect blend. And this guy's not only fully in shape, he doesn't drink coffee. He's super clean. He has earth meal every single day. He's not, he's, and he's only gotten stronger and more energy. And then he said, okay. And then he said, okay, Jared, try it. Right. One day he said, just try it. Try my earth meal. Tried it. And let me tell you, it was fucking delicious. Right. I couldn't get enough of it. I didn't even care about all the health benefits. I was like, wow, I just want to eat this. It's great. It feels like I'm eating dessert and it's my meal and it's healthy. Right. Um, but it had all these intangible benefits. So what that first, after maybe two or three days of having earth meal for breakfast, I'd start going to the gym and I would run for longer. I would lift heavier and I just felt like I had more energy and it's because of the ingredients in there. And by the way, it's not even just about what I'm putting in my body, with the earth meal. It's what I didn't need to put in my body that helped my performance too. So I wasn't, you know, having, um, pre-workout, right? The C4 pre-workout. I wasn't having as much coffee. I was sleeping better. I, all these other intangible benefits that, you know, went into that routine because that satisfied me enough not to need those other products. Having better, it has, it has 90% of your daily fiber, um, in one serving of earth meal, which enabled me to, you know, I don't love vegetables. I could eat far fewer vegetables have one earth meal. I'm not snacking anymore because it kept me full all day. It's only 500 calories. So it was a meal replacement, right? But you have 500 calories for, you know, you skip your breakfast or have a small breakfast, have a, an earth meal for lunch and have a small dinner. Like you're at a caloric deficit for weight loss, right? Um, and it's, and people breaking the habit of munching on different things. If you're so full, you don't really want to snack. I'm telling you, this stuff made I, I me think super there, full. I think there's a lot of, of value in, we always think about, okay, let me get the thing or do the, 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 the right thing because it's gonna, I'm going to get the benefit. But there's also a lot of benefit. And if you can find something that satiates, and I mean, that can be in the physical and the food sense, but that can also be in the spiritual sense or the uh, satiate your desire for entertainment, right? So if you can find a positive outlet that reduces your desire for negative, you know, behaviors or negative uh, interactions. That is actually how you have sustainable change in in diet or in in other aspects. I think that's really cool that you highlight that part. Yeah, and and you know, for me, it's it's it's. I like to. I don't like calling things <clears throat> diets, right? As somebody that has lost over fifty five pounds of body fat in my life before in one go, um, it's not about diet because diet is short term, it has to be lifestyle modification. So you have to find things that you are repeatable and easy. Right. And you know, for, there's some people like my wife is super fit, she can eat whatever she wants. It's not gonna, she's not gonna gain a pound, she's always gonna have her like six pack. And like, she's really like, I'm not like that, right. Um, I can eat, you know, one thing one time, and I will see the change on my body. Right. So you have to prevent it. And how do you prevent it? Going back to routine, going back to rules, Jared rules in particular, right? Bring this full circle. So, so I made a Gerald, Jared rule for myself. I'm going to eat dinner 7 p.m. or earlier. And if I don't eat by 7 p.m., I will not eat dinner, right? That's smart. So, so forcing function, forcing function, right? And I will go to the gym for 150 minutes a week at least more extra credit. Great. But then that sets a new standard. 
right? I was actually having a conversation with um, a friend, colleague named Brian Nickel a few months ago. Um, he's the CEO of Chipotle. And we were, we were um, having a meal together. And we had a whole conversation about setting standards. Were you eating Chipotle? We were not. But we were having tacos. <laughs> All right. Um, on brand. Yeah, it was on brand. It was They were fantastic tacos. But no, we weren't eating Chipotle. Um, <laughs> at least not that I knew of. Um, and uh, we, were, we were talking about, you know, I asked him, you know, obviously you don't, it's very rare to get access to that kind of professional um, very often. So naturally you want to ask some really great questions about, you know, how he runs his company and how he leads his life and some of his Brian rules that he's put in place, right? Um, and he told me about setting standards, right? Which is, you have to, and I, I lead this, I lead with this, with my personal life and in my business and holding myself to a certain standard. Um, you set a standard and the expectation is that you hit that standard. Falling short of, you should never, ever, ever employee yourself want to fall short of that standard. A standard, like an example being the 7 p.m. rule or is a standard something else? can be anything right it's whatever you set your standards to be um but to to live a disciplined life you have to set a standard and then whenever you exceed your standard that becomes the new standard right because now falling short of if you know that you can achieve more and you fall short of that then you're not meeting your standards you're not meeting your potential and so that's, that's, it's a really interesting, now to lead your life like that is very difficult, I think in many aspects, but it's, you know, if you shoot for, if you want to fly to Mars, you know, if Elon Musk gets to Mars, that's awesome. But if, if he ends up in the moon, that's still a pretty damn good accomplishment, right? Um, and you're not going to get, sometimes you may not be able to get to the moon if you are aiming for Mars. So how do you get adherence though? Because I think, I think these goals makes sense, these standards, these objectives, and everyone's set them before. I think that there are certain ones which are maybe set up and constructed better, and, and maybe that's what we unpack here. But with the example of 7 p.m., eat before it or don't eat, I think that that's a really good example of a rule, a standard, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, that really will result in behavior change mm -hmm. right? in, in updating your lifestyle. Because there's just an omission and it's very black and white. What does not eating mean? I literally do not eat, period, right? right? There's, you can't kind of, it's like, I don't eat junk food after seven. Well, what's junk food? And let me justify right. it. It's, my, it's, my, my. it's a very clear definition of done, right? Yes, yes. So, so how is it though? But then you have things, again, 150 minutes in the gym. That's also very explicit and very measurable and very accountable. But I do feel like that there are certain things, and maybe it's just the nature of setting good goals and good standards, but there are certain times when we break our own rules or we don't stick to whatever habit we're trying to achieve, whether it's right. always wake up by 7 a.m. or meditate five times a week or go to whatever rules people have, it can be difficult to stick with them, right? Stick with them over time Absolutely. and also stay consistent. So how, I know you mentioned gamification. That's a great tactic for it. Do you have other things that enable you to stick to these rules? Nothing good comes easy, right? Nothing good comes easy. And to expect perfection from day one is setting yourself up to fail. And a part of failure is growth. And that, by the way, can go back to entrepreneurship. I have a failed company. It completely flopped. The business model sucked. The execution sucked. Products sucked. 
Like it all sucked, right? It was horrible, <laughs> but it was. Sounds it, like most first products, most first companies. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. But I learned, I didn't just get down on my luck and say, eh, I don't want to do it. Built another company and the company is, you know, knock on wood or whatever I could find around me, at least today doing well, right? Thank God. And, or thank whoever, thank me. I don't know. Thank whoever you believe in. <laughs> right. And thank uh, your rules. Thank you. Rules. Thank you. Rules. Right. Thank you to my wife who supports me through everything. Right. I could not have, I, it's, it's, I find it a very interesting, a very interesting uh, trend is that when I met my wife, my company also took off. Um, it's very, the growth is directly corresponding. Number one advice to budding entrepreneurs, go find a significant other. No, well, I don't think it has to be a significant other. I think it's find your support system and somebody that's going to inspire you, somebody that's going to push you. I work really hard because I want to provide an amazing life for my wife and I, my wife and me, as she would, myself, my wife and myself. That's, she would correct me on that. Um, all three of you, all, all, all three of myself, me and yeah. yeah, me, myself and I, right. Um, so, so, you know, that she pushes me, but she's also supportive. You know, like there will be many times where maybe the concepts of the exact business function, like the exact function that I'm building for a client that's particularly difficult or whatever, she may not understand to give me the solution, going back to solutions, right? You know, she may not, may not understand, like, this is how you have to code that silly, but she'll say, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, I'm here for you, you know, reframe it, help you center, help you remember what. Yeah, I, I think I think you mentioned failure, failure of a first business, failure in general, and failure of sticking to goals. It's not going to be perfect day one or yeah. or rules or whatever you want to call them. And one of the 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 mindset shifts that I've had recently, maybe before, but I found good language for it recently, is you either win, succeed, or learn. And you said that learning is baked into failure. I'd say that failure is learning. If you fail and you stop, to me, that is the only definition of failure. But if you don't achieve the outcome you're looking for, right? You don't win the basketball game or you don't make a million dollars or you don't achieve whatever it is. We call that failure, right? Generally speaking, that is a failure, but it's only a failure if Michael Jordan stops playing basketball when he's 22 or 25 because he hasn't won a championship yet. Right. But if you just keep going, you're learning, 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 learning. And success happens over time. It, it's not, there's no overnight success. Totally. But you grow every single step of the way. And every single time you come up short, you learn another way of not doing it. And eventually, if, if you don't die, you will achieve the thing that you set out to achieve. I agree with you entirely. I love, I love framing it that way uh, because it makes every experience worthwhile, right? Um, even experiences, for example, I, I was at UCLA, as I mentioned earlier, I am a biology major, entrepreneurship minor. What in the hell do I use my bio degree for today, right? <laughs> Next to nothing. But, but I think about the world in a very scientific way sometimes. And having that experience allowed me to dissect certain aspects as I would when reading a research paper and how to go through scientific procedure and how to understand about human psychology and how to understand, you know, these different aspects 
then I wouldn't have such a, you know, maybe I still have much to learn, but I wouldn't have as defined of a, of an understanding of those topics had it not been for my biology education. And so finding ways to extract value from experience, whether it be a failure or not, just experience, then also from your failures is how you're going to grow, not just as an entrepreneur, but as a human being. That's how you're going to be more worldly. That's how you're going to understand people better. It's how you're going to understand different cultures, which is a huge part of what, what I do professionally, right, is understanding culture and, and utilizing culture and, and understanding what I can understand easily, what I can't, and, and also empowering people from all walks of life right, to, to give them that, those opportunities. You know, I have people on my team who have disabilities, right? Um, I have people on my team who have come from many different countries, who look different, that have different religions. And I see them, I see those people as an opportunity to learn more about my life, my privilege, my, my life, um, and to make me a better human being, right? To learn from their experiences because that's a, another perspective that I, that I haven't had it. We, I call it culture. Um, I call it culture add, not culture fit, right? I want you to add to our culture. I don't want you to fit our culture because there isn't a fit in our culture. You're creating a better culture by adding to it. Right? So, you know, that's a really, a really key thing that you brought up is a, a, around failure because you're right. It is learning. And I think that you can learn from everything in your life and it's going to make you a much more sophisticated individual and more interesting to talk to. I'm glad you brought up your team. One of the things that was most impressive to me when talking with you and when I first got to know you is how much you put into building your culture, building your talent, building your team, building the company. So talk to me about how maybe 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 let's start with just explain a little bit about your company how it works who are your team members and let's start there yeah absolutely um new tech is a software company um a software team i don't like to call us an agency um that's a hoopa but uh new tech is a, a staff augmentation company um and team who places senior level talent into companies on a month-to-month -month affordable basis. All of my talent, all of my teammates and my colleagues are senior level. Um, they all speak fluent English. Um, they all are extremely talented, not only just in their technical abilities, but also their product thinking and what we call the new tech intangibles, which is hard work, which is getting the job done, no excuses. Um, problem solving, thinking about product five steps ahead versus three steps behind, not thinking about a singular task, but the whole, the whole, you know, vision of what you're building to give feedback, right? Those are the intangibles that we, that we, we talk about. And we take that talent on an affordable basis or what I believe to be affordable and competitive and place them into companies because, you know, there's many companies who have teams or agencies where, um, you know, maybe you're having to work through a PM and you don't have any exposure to the, the developers. Um, maybe there's a freelancer that you want to work with, but then they're not, you can't work with more of them or they go on a vacation and take another project and, you know, you're no longer relevant. Or 
you know, you hire in-house. Vacation is a nice term. I, I've met many clients where their developer, that's a contractor, just disappears. But yes, continue. Into thin air. Yeah, vacation, right? <laughs> vacation from you. Um, called maybe, exactly. maybe permanent, right? Um, and, and then there's also in-house hires, which has a lot of value too. But you're also, as an entrepreneur, if you're bootstrapping or if you're trying to build a company or an MVP, it can be challenging to hire in-house when you have to deal with feeding another mouth every month, having that payroll um, and that cash flow concern, um, making sure that they're busy constantly, um, having to deal with benefits and unemployment and all these different things that can be very challenging, right? And take up time. So new tech is that silver bullet in between where we're going to be silly putty and give you what you need not what we want you to have. And, you know, we can always have a conversation. We have a, a three-step process. We first want to talk to you, understand your product, get to know us and understand what you're trying to build. Then after analyzing on a high level what you're trying to build, we'll take an industry, um, an industry expert that's on our team and have a conversation with you about the specific needs of what your culture is, your teamwork, um, all, the, all the different components that make up your project and your company. And then lastly, we'll find individuals on our team and place them in um, to fit those needs on a month-to-month -month basis. And we usually can go from zero to one, go through that entire zero to three, go through that entire process um, anywhere between three and five days, depending on how much time you give us, right? Um, no matter what your what your needs are. And, you know, building that team, um, you know, Elijah, it comes down to culture, right? That's what I spent many years failing on. And by the way, all culture is beautiful. Um, there isn't a culture that how I, do you define culture? The way that you've learned to do things and the way that you interact with your community. How's that? The way that you've learned and the way that you interact with your community. Give me examples. Religion. I've learned to do things a specific way. I've learned to take certain actions to pray to God or, or to a higher power of some sort. Uh, and I indulge in doing that with my community. And we have certain rules and actions that we follow together, right? Based off of what we've been taught and interact with those things together as a community. So religion falls into that, right? I'm Jewish. So I go to synagogue occasionally. And there's certain things that are important to me. And, you know, the way I see the world um, relates somewhat to my Judaism. But being Jewish to me is not just a religion. It's an identity. It's a way of thinking. It's, it's my community, um, my identity, right? And, and to me, that's a part of my culture. I'm also South African. I'm born in America. I'm an American. I have a U.S. passport. I was born with one. But my parents are South African. And so as my dad will always say, and my mom will always say, you know, you are uh, an American with South African blood, right? And which is true, actually. Uh, and what comes with that is the way that I've learned from my, from other South Africans and South African Jews and my parents and my community has made me who I am in some way, that environment, right? It's, it's environment plus action equals culture in a way. Um, and so I take that really seriously and because I think that translates to the workplace, right? Because everyone works a certain way and there isn't a right way to work. There are certainly some wrong ways, but I believe that every culture has figured out a way that works for them. And for me, 
what I've realized is that when people try and outsource, you know, engineers or talent outside of the United States, those people, they, if they have a great experience, awesome. Happy to hear it, right? We want people to succeed. But if they don't, it's not because they're bad. It's because you don't understand how they work and you don't understand how they interact with each other. And you don't understand how to deliver content in the way that's going to maximize their performance. And so for me, there's a big realization of outsourcing isn't bad. And cultures that, you know, even have the, have the stereotype of not being good are great. It's just maybe not the right thing for you. And don't stereotype everybody based off of one experience that you've had because you were unable to identify a culture that works for you. And so for me, it took me years to figure that out, right? And for me to set a standard, right? To set, to set that benchmark, I had to find a community that I relate to, that I understand. Because who am I to set my standards arbitrarily for a community of people who, you know, don't, don't understand me and I don't understand that. It's not my job, right? And so I had to find people who I can relate to a lot better. And, and that's how I started my journey of building new tech, which is finding communities and pockets of people whose cultures I personally, maybe it's not exact, they're not South African Jews, right? I don't have a team of 150 South African Jews, right? But I do have a team made up of people that have the same principles, the same, ident they, they identify with building community and loyalty and a work ethic. And the way that they think about the world and product and business, very similar minded. And to me, that is a fair expectation because I'm not ask, I'm not putting my standards on them. They're coming in with their own set of standards that they're bringing to the company that helps me elevate mine. Right. And so Building that's that space for that, that dialogue, that openness, that culture add, not culture fit. Right. And so that's how I've built our team. Because, and how I've been able to be so consistent with the level of talent that we're able to provide. Because I understand them and how they work. And they understand me. And I have, I guess, my superpower is understanding what others want too. And being able to help them solve their problems iteratively together. And it may sometimes just so happen that I have engineers on my team and designers on my team and PMs and QAs and whoever you may need, video game engineers, AI engineers on my team that could help you potentially solve some of those problems in a way, in a cultural way that you are able to understand, quantify, and appreciate. If you were giving advice to someone who is working with remote teams, international teams, and they're looking to lead more effectively, build better culture, what advice would you give them to build that same type of environment across, again, time zones, geographies, vastly different cultures and upbringings and backgrounds? I think it starts internally. So understanding yourself, right? Understanding how do you best work? How are you able to best manage somebody else? What kind of personality, what kind of environment do you want to create in order to maximize yourself? Because anyone that you bring on to help you you're, you're, the, you're the entrepreneur, you're the decision maker. So you have to bring on colleagues 
that are going to maximize your own potential. And you have to set up, find colleagues whose work style doesn't conflict with your own, right? Because conflicts is just unnecessary and it's unnecessary energy and time that you're being putting into. I think investing in relationships is, is the most important thing in business, by the way. Relationships is business. That is, if I had something on my tombstone about business, it's that, right? Business is all about relationships. Another folklore that my dad taught me, right? About folklore, I think it's real. But 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 it's another another ideology. Guiding principle. Guiding principle. Thank you. See, you're always better with the word. Um, it's another guiding principle that I've learned from my dad, right? In his Mr. Miyagi state of teaching me to be an entrepreneur as I was growing up, is relationships is everything, right? Um, so understanding those relationships and building them is always an incredible talent and it's extremely important to do. And it's going to lead you to be successful with your clients and with your colleagues. Understanding yourself when working with people all over the world, right? Answering your question more directly here. You need to understand yourself and understand what you're looking for in others. And then finding out if those other people fit those needs and fit those ways of working together. Uh, because then you're going to be able to execute in a way that you know how and that they know how, right? So it's those, not necessarily that there's a, there's a right path, but starting with yourself, knowing who you are, and then looking for the environment that helps you grow and bringing people that also support that same philosophy and ethos. Because it's really not there to think that everybody or others are bad or not experienced or unintelligent based off of what works for you. That's so subjective, right? It's so subjective. And I've just found something that works for me. And I target, you know, when looking to build relationships and people to work with others that value those same things. And it just so happens that the new tech intangibles, right? Hard work, work ethic, um, you know, accountability, community, um, you know, relationships, customer service. Those are guiding principles that many, many American based companies really enjoy, right? So those are how I, just, I those are the, the very few things. And, and then, you know, we have things in the office, for example, every Friday in our Montevideo Uruguay office, every Friday we have an asado where everyone in the office comes and has a barbecue together in the office, right? On, New Tech sponsors it, it's all on us, but everyone gets together. It's like for me, it's like a Shabbat dinner on a Friday night. It's important. Don't think about work, get together. And maybe while you're having lunch and you're building those friendships, maybe you'll be, be able to find ways to interact with that other colleague of yours outside of work or be able to solve a problem for them or be able to build that trust and loyalty, which by the way, also helps with company retention, right? So, 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 um, you know, that's an important thing that we've established. Um, even I, with my colleagues, it's important, no matter how big your team gets to always sit there and actually have conversations with each person at some point. It doesn't have to be every day. It doesn't have to be every month, but finding time. There's two um, engineers on my team, Nati and Valet, shout out. Um, they're based in our uh, Montevideo office and I have what we put on the calendar every, every so often girl talk. It's literally called girl talk, me and the two of them. And we just talk about fun things, right? We talk about travel. We talk about my relationship. We talk relationships and, you know, my, and my wife and just fun stuff to get to know each other as human beings. Right. And if those things are important at work. It's not just, it can't just always be about work, 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 work. You have to build a rapport and people that are invested in you and invested in what you're doing are going to maximize output, not because you're telling them to, but because they want to. And that buy-in is going to take you so much farther 
than just being a very difficult founder to deal with. I think that there's so much to resonate with on the, the principle, the tenet of relationships, because it shows up in the community that you build inside of your organization, shows up in the retention of people sticking around. It shows up in the output of people wanting to work with you rather than just having to work with you, but then also being open to the next job or trying to escape whenever they can. But it also goes back to what we we're talking about earlier, of picking up the fucking phone yeah. and calling someone and asking your customers, what do you need? What do you want? How is this working? Is this, is this valuable? And so I think that everything that we've kind of talked about there is the aspect of looking within to kind of define yourself, give yourself the rules, give yourself the definition for how you show up in the world. But then beyond that, relationships encompass almost everything, whether it's a relationship with your partner, your support system, your wife, relationship with your community and how you identify Jewish and, and, and South African um, or, or with your employees, co-workers as well as your clients, your customers. So I think that's, it's, it's a pretty encompassing philosophy, but I think it's a really beautiful one to live by. Yeah, thank you. I, I completely agree. And what you'll find is that journey becomes so much more enriched when you live your life that way, right? Uh, when, you, when you have great relationships with your customers, less problems will happen. They'll be more understanding, more empathetic. When you have great relationships with your colleagues, you'll enjoy coming into the office every day. You'll enjoy learning about their weekend. You'll, you know, they'll work harder. You'll work harder. Um, when you have a great relationship with your significant other, you know, nothing excites me more than going home from work and seeing my wife, right? I love, we have a no phone dinner. So we put our phones down before 7 p.m. Um, and, and we, we, otherwise you're sitting in the corner crying as everyone else is already. That's, well, yeah, I, I, I told her you eat when you're hungry. Right. Um, <laughs> but we try our best, right. We have a no phones dinner or no phones time in general, where we both put our phones away from the distractions of work in the world for an hour, you know, new tech's not going to, you know, burn down in an hour, right. Anyone can wait an hour and, uh, you know, especially in the evening, right. And I can, I can have that time with my wife and we can just talk about our days and talk about what's going on and just enjoy each other's company and support each other and be there for each other. And, 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 you know, I look forward to that. So all those relationships to me, you know, going back to the meaning of life, the meaning of, of being an entrepreneur and living and success, right? It's, it's that journey. It's, and it's taking the time to really be present in that journey. That's, that's so important and the success will come. And by the way, Success doesn't need to just be financial. You know, that's a, that's a concept that my wife tells me all the time, right? Because I'm very ambitious, right? I'm a very ambitious individual. Um, I constantly am trying to better myself, processes, um, everything that I do. I'm reading, you know, The Way of the Wolf, Jordan Belfort right now, right? And, and thinking of ways. And she, she says all the time, she says, listen, if what you had today is what we have, we will live a very happy life. And it's an important thing to know, like I'm enough, she's enough as she is, as I am. Um, and everything that, and that's success, by the way, that's success. Uh, but also I'm ambitious, right? So I'm not going to stop. And that also leads me to more success, not just financial, but also, you know, it keeps me going. It keeps me driven. It keeps me happy, right? Happiness is also a key piece of success, right? You can be financially successful and extremely unhappy. And I still see that as failure, um, unless you learn from it. So we are enough 
And also, it's okay to want more. The, the dichotomy, the balance of striving for more, but also being anchored and comfortable with where we are today. Yeah, I think it's important. I think it's important and it's really easy to lose, to lose sight of it. Um, and I, 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 I struggle with that every day, you know, for trying to find that balance. That's, that's the beauty of the world. That's the, the, the struggle we all deal with. Yeah. Jared, if people want to find out more about you, connect with you, where should they go? Um, if you want to connect with me about anything, you know, software related, um, or work related, you can go and find me on uh, newtech.co. That's C-O, no M at the end, N-E-U-T-E-C-H dot C-O. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Jared Nutel. Um, you can find me on, on Instagram, um, or, you know, you can find me and DM me anywhere else where you can find me. Thanks for coming on, Jared. Thank you so much for the time, Elijah. I really appreciate it. this. was fun. I appreciate it as well.